waves in the Finiverse. Live from Singapore Fintech Festival. The, the bits I think that we'll start to see um, a real movement on is probably more on the ability to tie the value transfer uh, to the transaction itself. The key thing for us is being able to build flexibility in our sort of workflow to be able to go, all right, we need low cost, we need high speed, we need transparency, we need these kind of attributes. This is the best way to route our payment. We need to digitize it, we need to get it through uh, a blockchain network. I think every time a new technology comes out, uh, there's always people that are trying to work out how to breach it. Uh, And then there's always institutions trying to work out how to stop them. Welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. I'm Walter Jennings, the host of a podcast brought to you by Finiverse, we're talking with the wave makers that are creating ripples, waves, and tsunamis across finance, crypto, fintech, Web3, and beyond. Listen weekly to hear the change makers talk firsthand about their experiences in this dynamic industry. We're live from Singapore Fintech Festival. I'm your host, Walter Jennings at Waves in the Finiverse. And today we're going to go down under and talk with David Buckthought, Head of Technology for International Payments and Digital Assets at ANZ Bank. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, David, um, technology in international payments and digital assets, uh, you must be in your element here at Singapore Fintech Festival. Uh, it's an exciting space. Uh, I walked in today. Today's my first day through the festival, and I was just blown away by the amount of booths that are just purely around crypto, digital assets, payments. Uh, I never realized there was going to be such a huge theme coming through. Yeah. Now, um, as you've been with ANZ over 12 years, you're obviously familiar with the payments landscape um, and the, um, I guess, the godfather of the payment system, SWIFT. Uh, So you've got both centralized finance uh, as well as DeFi. Let's talk first about SWIFT and the the way that's used in the bank and uh, the, the, the priority that has. Yeah, so SWIFT is still huge for us. Uh, we still will process 99% of our international payments through a SWIFT network. And some of the things it does really well, it's got mass adoption across the world. So there's over 10,000 banks are participating across the SWIFT network. And it makes it really simple for us to have standardized um, capabilities, standardized governance processes through. So there are some positives around SWIFT. And as I said, the rest of the industry probably hasn't caught up quite enough yet to be able to really start challenging Swift in that space, but it's happening and it's happening really quickly. It's a little bit like Facebook when everyone's on it, you have to be on it. Exactly right. Yeah. Now, um, at the same time, we're seeing the rise of blockchain solutions. What are some of the benefits that blockchain bring to the payment services? It's an interesting one. And I've, I've been trying to work this out through my own mind uh, probably over the last couple of years. And I think even the, a step before blockchain really kicked off in the finance industry over the last two years, a lot of fintechs were coming into the game as well. Um, and we'd see that they were disrupting the payment industry through uh, new services, cheaper services, easier to consume services. And I think blockchain is just adding another sort of technology uh, arm to those startups and another way that they can help reduce some of the friction. And if I look at 
where I believe the friction is. A lot of people talk about this really long delay across sort of swift payment processing. And sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. The, the bits I think that we'll start to see um, a real movement on is probably more on the ability to tie the value transfer uh, to the transaction itself. So instead of having a transaction where I sell you a share or a house, and then I have this payment uh, settlement side that runs in parallel and we lose track of where each other are at and we need to reconcile them. We can, we can tie those two together and have atomic settlement of the transaction itself. And I think that's where we're going to really see the reduced uh, sort of time delays in the process. Cost is a bit of a factor, um, but most of the cost doesn't come from the SWIFT network. It comes from the multiple banks in the chain. Uh, and because we need the multiple banks, everyone has a little clip along the way uh, for the processes they do. Now, this becomes a lot more sort of um, end user to end user kind of uh, transaction settlement. So what we'll find is the cost reduction through those kind of processes as well. Uh, we have heard the term DeFi or decentralized finance and uh, the term CeFi, centralized finance. It seems you're right at the intersection of the two worlds and that's where the, the gears start to grind a little bit. Uh, how are you finding? Is it smoothing out a bit? Uh, do we still have some years of heartache ahead? This is, this is a fun topic. I, I think this one is the true evangelists around DeFi going, we don't need banks. They don't play a part in this world. The whole model is set up. So it's uh, decentralized and we don't want people in the middle controlling. And then you've got the, the banking uh, sector that goes, well, hang on, I think there's a place to play in here. And I don't know where this goes over the next two, three, four years, uh, but I do think banks still provide value to customers. And I I think this is the key that we need to start working out. It's not about the product that we're trying to do, the payment that we're trying to make. It's what value do we as banks actually play in that process? So if we're providing a trust uh, kind of value that you can custody your coins with us, you can trust us for your key uh, shares, you can do all those kind of things, maybe that's a space. Um, so unless you can prove that value for customers, um, you. I don't know where you go with it. No, I think, David, it's a it's an ecosystem question, and it's not a question of one versus the other, because there will always be people uh, pr using traditional banks and others who want to remain completely in DeFi. And in between those extremes, there will be thousands of shades of gray with plenty of opportunity. 100%. And this is where I even look at Swift uh, versus blockchain. Uh, and I don't see it as a Swift versus blockchain necessarily. I kind of see it as a, a use case play. So while we're processing payments, we need to be able to make logical decisions. Is SWIFT the best network to actually process this for? And there will be a bunch of reasons why you could go either way. Is blockchain the best way to do this for? Direct APIs with partner banks, is that the best mechanism? So I really like tying it back to what is the customer trying to achieve out of it? What's the use case and what technology do we want to run with? I don't remember whether this is an American or Australian saying, having spent 12 years down under, but horses for courses. You, you don't want to run a mutter on a dry track and uh, vice versa. Exactly right. And for all the Australian listeners, the Melbourne Cup Carnival is happening at the moment and tracks are wet. So. <laughs> well, then you're going to want a mutter, aren't exactly. you? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, um, uh, look, um, uh, there's been a fairly exciting development recently. Um, you've um, got a coin out there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, really exciting. Uh, so 
the wheels really started turning at the start of this year and I being in banking for the last 10, 15 years, I, I'm quite accustomed to uh, how slow banks can move, uh, but I have been amazed in what we were able to do in such a short period of time and really when we focused on the outcomes, um, be able to turn this thing around in two, three months. So what what we were able to do is when we started looking at, well, where do banks play in the uh, digital assets uh, world and what kind of things that would customers want from us, we kind of narrowed it down to a few core components. We, we knew we would want a custody solution. Uh, we knew we would need to have some sort of ability to transfer value uh, because we really believe in the tokenized economy. Uh, and for that, you need to be able to then have a coin that moves the value around. So one of the very early things that we did was um, mint our first Aussie dollar uh, stable coin. This was 100% collaterally backed, uh, deployed on the Ethereum network. So first of its kind globally uh, for a bank issued coin on a public permissionless uh, blockchain. Now, we say Ethereum, um, but very chain agnostic. Uh, we've been able to prove uh, the deployment across multiple chains now. So again, the whole horses for courses comment. We don't want to put all of our eggs on a particular chain and go, yep, that's where the future is going to be. We believe in Ethereum. We believe in the developer community that supports it. Um, and we love just having the EVM standards uh, that we can sort of back onto. But we do want to make sure that if we find that private chains are better for a particular set of use cases, that we can still use our coin um, across those. So through that process, uh, we were able to find a customer that was really keen uh, to participate with us. They wanted to be able to purchase some uh, traditional crypto uh, currencies through an exchange they worked with, ZeroCap. And we came together as a bit of a partnership and said, customer-led, this is exactly where we want to be. Right. And you guys need the ability to move Aussie dollar fiat uh, into a USDC uh, through, and we use ZeroCap to make a market from our Aussie dollar coin to USDC. Uh, and the straight conversion. Now, USDC meaning? The US do, uh, dollar digital currency. Thank uh, you. So predominantly a lot of our cryptos uh, in the market are, are traded through a USDC leg. So we had to get it uh, over there. Their, their traditional flow was uh, a couple of days to execute this. So traditionally they need to move the money to an Australian bank that would need to send it to a US bank that would need to get it to a particular US bank that would be able to issue the USDC coin. This was a long process, costly process. Um, and what we were able to show is we could bring that down to minutes. Uh, and this is where I think customers are really starting to see the benefit of what we're doing. So that just keep going down that customer leg, customer value uh, side for us. And the Aussie dollar coin, I think we got a lot of marketing, a lot of hype and one of the best parts, I think, for uh, ANZ was regulators really started to take note. We took the Australian regulators along the journey with us, uh, and it really started helping them go, there's something here, this is real, we really need to start working on our policies as well. Already happening on the side, but it started just moving that sort of cog a little bit faster. So the industry started getting excited, other banks started questioning what we were doing and wanted to work out how they could start uh, moving down that path. So. David, for our listeners who may not be deep into crypto, can you define stablecoin? 
Yeah, so uh, a stablecoin, and there's multiple varieties of stablecoins. Um, but let's talk about the Aussie dollar stablecoin from ANZ. But the premise of a stablecoin is it's a hundred percent collaterally backed, uh, and the reason why that's important for us uh, and important for a lot of use cases is you don't have the wild fluctuations that you can get in the uh, existing crypto market because. Our Aussie dollar coin, one for one. So if we minted a single Aussie dollar coin, we had one Aussie dollar sitting in a reserve account held by ANZ. Got it. So that means at any given time you knew you had redemption um, capability for that coin. You didn't need to find a market on someone who was willing to buy it. You had a dollar that was uh, being backed by. Now, that wasn't the case with other stable coins and we've seen some uh, spectacular collapses it, it must have been a little awkward coming out with an aussie dollar stable coin at the time others were imploding it uh, yeah <laughs> the timing was just amazing um so the, the, as i said uh, there's a lot of different types i think the biggest one around the algorithmic side of it uh, now you can always break those now, long term they're probably not going to uh lose their pegging but there, there is that risk profile. So right. I think if you look at the way we did it, we said we don't, we want to take that risk completely out of the equation because we want to be able to convince the industry, uh, we want to be able to convince our regulators that this is such a safe um, means, and this coin is just a representation of what you've always known, the Aussie dollar. So being able to do that 100% collaterally backed rather than using an algorithm to be able to support it was important for us. So David, the uh, earlier stable coin issues were not similar model. They hadn't had the same reserves backing them. Is that correct? There is so many stable coins out in the market. They've got so many different varieties of ways to do it. But, but yes, the, the one through ANZ yeah, yeah. has the collateral that's, backing. That's correct. Yes. Now, uh, this is not central bank digital currency uh, or CBDC. Um, can you kind of talk our listeners through the difference between a stable coin, Aussie dollar coin and a central bank digital currency? Yeah, it's... Um so it's going to be interesting over the next sort of six to 12 months, every uh, central bank is now looking at CBDC. So what CBDCs are is basically the central bank digital currencies uh, or digital coins, and they um, mint their own and then they circulate it as they would print uh, paper money. The Reserve Bank uh, is in Australia would be the one to look for uh, for those developments. Yes, so uh, they've just kicked off a project actually the, um, in participation with a lot of the finance industry and a lot of the players that are looking into the digital asset space at the moment uh, and working out, well, what, what is a CBDC? Uh, why would a regulator want to issue it? Uh, why wouldn't we use a bank-issued stablecoin? So starting to go, what are all those different use cases? Where do their lines start and stop? Do they only issue to banks who then... Uh, sort of provide that out to the wider community. Uh, so there's a lot still to happen in that space. And I think we're seeing regulators across the globe. I know Mads has um, been actively looking at this over the last 12 months as well uh, and every other jurisdiction. So it will be interesting to see where this lands in two or three years time and how much convergence we have around the way regulators are looking at it or how much they diverge and just go, this is our country and this is how we think it will best uh, sort of m make use. 
Yeah, we're actually uh, at Finiverse uh, helping to, we're the official appointed organizers of D3 Bahamas, 24 to 26 January next year. And one of the tracks will be regulator showcase because uh, the Bahamas was issued one of the first uh, central bank digital currencies with the sand dollar. So there's been quite a lot of interest from regulators around the world where what were the problems that this solved? How did you go about it? Um, and certainly the um, Aussie dollar coin would be of interest for that audience as well. Yeah, I, I hope it would be. Uh, I'd love to get some information out there. I think the other thing that uh, regulators are really looking for is the industry to help guide them. So one of the great things about our Aussie dollar coin and where we've got to over the last nine to 12 months is sort of our partnership play. So Chain Analysis uh, is a company that we work with quite quite a lot. And we've had uh, some of their professionals on our show, so we're very familiar with Chain Analysis. Fantastic. And one... Not, not just their technology is great, um, but one of the other upsides to them is they work really closely with all of our regulators in Australia. So when we go back to them and say, hey, we'd like your approval around these use cases that we're doing, they already see Chainalysis's name on it and they go, great, we're comfortable with that. They see Fireblocks's name on it and they say, we really respect their security standards. Tick, we like that. They see our Open Zeppelin audit reports and go, yes. Um, sort of leading the market in auditing of smart contracts. ANZ, you're doing everything right. So that partnership play was really important to us as well. From innovators to investors, get inside the minds of the industry's top leaders in finance, fintech, crypto, Web3 and beyond. Get ready to ride the next wave. This is Waves in the Finiverse, the podcast. Live from Singapore Fintech Festival. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it sounds like for the Aussie dollar coin, you had to uh, look away from CFI or centralized finance and dive deep into DeFi. Can you introduce us to DeFi and how that world works for you? Yeah, it's uh, and again, it's one of these ones that my mind's kind of been evolving over the last 12 months. Uh, I think where I started at the start of this year and where I thought we would actually be building um, technology and where we'd be participating completely changed to now. One of the things that uh, I'm a strong believer on is the tokenized economy. Uh, I think that you look at all the benefits around tokenization of real world assets, financial products, the way that you can fractionalize those and get them to a much more adoptable state. You don't need to buy half a full house anymore. You could tokenize the title and then you could fractionalize that and buy one hundredth of a house. So you get a lot more people accessing markets. Um, so we really believe that is somewhere that the world's going to go. Uh, and then we just need to work backwards. Where do banks actually add value in that larger process? Do we offer tokenization as a service? Do we look at the stablecoin being the facilitator of uh, value movements? It's it's going to be a really interesting space. And I got to admit, I don't know what where where I'm going to be in 12 months' time with it. But it's exciting. No, I think the toothpaste is out of the tube and it's not going back in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, what are some of the technologies that are catching your attention at the moment? So quite a few of them that I uh, just mentioned. So we're loving the way that uh, Fireblocks goes around sort of their sharding of the keys uh, and their security uh, pieces. So having that kind of uh, MPC model um, on 
the the way they built their security. Uh, we we're really enjoying that. I think chain analysis. One of the reasons why we have really enjoyed working with that team is that internally and externally, a lot of the time there's this aura of it's a little unknown, black box, uh, sort of the DeFi world. We can't control uh, where the money's going to. How do we know it's not u- uh, being used for sort of um, nefarious uh, activities? And they're able to be uh, show uh, all of our risk and compliance teams that the visibility you can get is amazing. It's probably better than what our traditional finance is. And now some of the problem is, well, when do your obligations stop? If I know five hops away that this has happened, is that still something that I've got a, a, an obligation to be able to um, stop, report on, do something else? So I think it's just that uh, the technology companies are just shooting the lights out and being able to provide us so much more information, so much more capability. Now it's just a matter of how do we not get lost in all of that and how do we really uh, line up what's important and focus on getting those right. Now, payment services, you're you're head of technology for international payments and digital assets. And of course, uh, here at the uh, FinTech Festival, we're seeing uh, payment services everywhere. Um, real explosive growth in the last few years. But you're also responsible for digital assets. Um, <laughs> and um, we I'm interested to understand kind of ANZ's view on digital assets, uh, perhaps at the institutional and retail level. Yeah, so um, from a technology side, from uh, my perspective, it, it's a really interesting kind of intersection of payments and uh, digital assets because I don't see them as these competing worlds. I, I really do believe that we'll find payments will use a lot of our blockchain technologies in the future um, and probably for quite a long time, they'll continue to use uh, a Swift network or a Visa Direct API or a, a multitude of other capabilities that are out in the market. The key thing for us is being able to build flexibility in our sort of workflow to be able to go, all right, we need low cost, we need high speed, we need transparency, we need these kind of attributes. This is the best way to route our payment. We need to digitize it. We need to get it through uh, a blockchain network or we need to get it to this uh, mass adoption space. We want to use the SWIFT network. Uh, so being able to have that flexibility and as different technologies mature and they get more capabilities, then we can just flip between them. I think from a broader ANZ perspective on digital assets, uh, we're very focused around the institutional side uh, of the world at the moment. So a lot of our sort of customer demands coming through that space. Uh, so really focusing on getting those core banking services uh, right, so the ability to have a um, stable coin, the ability to have custody and to transfer. Now, what that will allow is all divisions across the bank to be able to then say, fantastic, in my use case, can use that, that, that and that. And within a month, a couple of weeks, however long, they're able to roll out their own sort of use case. So be able to provide that kind of plumbing network. Now, David uh, Buck thought I've uh, seen your driver's license. I understand your middle name is Security. <laughs> <laughs> so can you uh, help us understand how you're using DeFi and uh, tools uh, to enhance and ensure the highest levels of security? Yeah, so security and risk is always the two that pop up. Uh, and whether it's fin crime risk or anything else, uh, 
it's so evolving. I think if you look at what's happening in sort of the industry at the moment with uh, data breaches uh, across every industry uh, in traditional sort of finance, traditional business, there's no difference in my mind on uh, sort of your exposure threat across a a digital asset kind of world versus a traditional finance world. They're just different. Uh, So security is foremost for all ANZ. Uh, we're, we're really strong around that. And every time we do do a deployment through this, we go through the strictest kind of risk controls. Our cyber team is involved actively with, with all of our discussions that we go through. What we're finding is having uh, Fireblocks as a company that we then use as a way to be able to authorize transactions across networks is really good for us. The, the way that they do their authentication and their signing, uh, their security standards are really top notch. So we make sure that every time we build something ourselves or we enter into a partner agreement, that those two pieces around risk, compliance, security always the first couple of questions asked. And once we get past that, we go, all right, now what's your capabilities and uh, how do we move from there? So it's it's going to be a um, really fascinating space over the next two to three years. I think every time a new technology comes out, uh, there's always people that are trying to work out how to breach it. Uh, and then there's always institutions trying to work out how to stop them. Uh, so we'll just see this evolving kind of threat matrix and then a process of being able to add in a new technology to stop it. Look, that's uh, AI, uh, uh, maker, checker, kind of, uh, you know, try to breach it, try to fix it, try exactly. to breach it, try to fix it. That's a, that's a constant game that will never end uh, even uh, when uh, our children are sitting in the podcast. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Now, listen, uh, David, uh, you're from Australia, passing through Singapore. Where are you on your way to next and why? Yeah, so off to India on Sunday. So um, flew through uh, Singapore, landed on Wednesday. Uh, we've got a, a significant team out of Singapore. So it's our Asia Pack hub for ANZ. Uh, and I've got a large development team in India, in Bangalore as well. So actually on the way to see them, uh, it's been three years of COVID lockdown. So mm. there is a lot of people I haven't seen in a while. Uh, and it's just makes such a difference to sit down with people, um, have a coffee, have a chat and really get to know them on a personal level again. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'd forgotten what human contact was. It's nice. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, David, we um, end our show with a a segment we call Tracks in the Finiverse. So we ask people there the music that's going to power them along through the Finiverse. And uh, what song would uh, be your uh, on your journey? Yeah. Um, uh, Look, honestly, I think what we need to be able to do in this uh, industry is just keep pushing forward. So I'm, I'm going for Push It uh, by Salt and Pepper. Oh, awesome. That's yeah, a very a, good song. A real flashback to the 80s. <laughs> we'll let our listeners hear that as we close out our interview with David Buckthought, Head of Technology, International Payments and Digital Assets, ANZ Bank. Thank you so much for being a guest on Waves in the Finiverse. No, thank you for having me. It's fantastic. See you soon. This has been Waves in the Finiverse. Why not hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.